It was only a matter of time until we finally got to jump into the series that turned me from just a novice, novice, however the heck you pronounce it, comic reader, into a full-on diehard fan. For the millennial generation, this was the comic for you. Yes, we're talking about Ultimate X-Men Volume 1, The Tomorrow People. On this today's episode of the Second Print Comics Podcast, but it would not be a regular episode if we did not have the mighty, marvelous Mr. Mark Clare. Mark, I gotta tell you, I don't know what your first impressions were of this one, but this has been probably at the top of my list since before this show even started. I'm so excited for this one. Well, our history with this book is certainly different because while this book uh, that we're going to look at, Ultimate X-Men, is what got you into comics, uh, I was actually completely... This is actually came out probably right around when I got out of comics, when I stopped reading. The Dark Ages. Uh, so I never... I had the Dark Ages, yes, my dark period, my, my comatose period. Uh, it's like a caveman, and then I got you know unthawed in about 2013, 2014. Uh, but uh, yeah, I had... Very little experience with the Ultimate Universe. Uh, however, I don't know if you know this. I had actually read this, what we read. I had actually read this four or five years ago uh, when I first got back into comics. I started poking around at what this Ultimate Universe was. I think the, the Black Nick Fury was actually the first time I became aware of it. I'm like, wait, why is, why is there a Black Nick Fury? And then I found out there was one in the Ultimate Universe, and I figured out, what is this other universe? And then I read Secret Wars, at where they actually merged the Ultimate Universe with the normal MCU continuity, and then I really you know, realized, okay, they're actually making this part of continuity, because I used to see it as just this I don't know, more like a, a really drawn out what if, you know, a universe-wide what if story. I never really took it seriously. Uh, but now, some of these Ultimate characters actually exist in the current Marvel continuity, so I guess it's all quote-unquote real, or as real as this stuff gets. Uh, so we definitely have different histories with this stuff, uh, but it's going to be interesting. I don't want to reveal my, my thoughts just quite yet. I'll let us get there naturally. Definitely, and I mean I, I jumped right into it because this this story means so much to me. Before we actually get started, hey, the, the the downloads are looking good. Our social media is on fire in terms of engagement, and it's only because of you, the listeners. Uh, the Second Print Comics Fan Zone, which has been closed off to the public since we hit Magic Number Fifty, is now only available through uh, you know pledging monthly on Patreon at any level. And really, when when social media looks like a giant dumpster fire. I go to the Second Brick Comics fan, uh, fan zone as a refuge from everything, <laughs> just so I could talk to all of you and have a whole ton of fun. And and you know, for folks that are in it right now, you actually got to watch our uh, first live episode, which was an X Men draft with Jenny and Matt Battaglia. Jenny has like 13 million podcasts, but you got to see the video version of that two weeks before it actually airs. And uh, I mean, Mark is voting up for that right now. Or is voting up for that later? Um, it should be up, well, by the time this air. I don't know. I don't know where we are in the time matrix. I get so lost between when we record and when, when these things release. But uh, at least in the fan zone, the voting should be up. I haven't put it up as of the, this recording. But you just reminded me that I should. So maybe after, after we're done, it will be up. There you go. Perfect. But no, it, it was a ton of fun. We went on for like two hours. Everyone had a really good team. I don't want to spoil anything, but it was, it was really cool. And we went on some tangents. I don't want to spoil battle. anything, but I had the best team by far and it's not close, but no spoilers there. You're, you're going you're gonna to play that card? I'm going to play that card. Yes. All right, Dick. There you go. 
<laughs> anyway, but at least yeah. uh, at least none of us had both Maverick and Jubilee on our team. So. Oh no, that's a spoiler. Uh, R.I.P. Team Metallica. Oh wait, this didn't air yet. That didn't air yet, right? Okay, I shouldn't even. That one comes that. out, but the people who saw it saw it. So if you're wondering what's going on, here's what you can do to catch that early. You can join us today at at least at five dollars, and you can watch or listen to the X Men draft before it airs the week of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, it'll be out for everybody. All you moochers who just like the free content and like having fun and don't want to help us grow, we still love you too. But the patrons, we did this for you, and you know, for us to find time to schedule amongst four people when we're all working, uh, you know, it, it, it was it took a little bit of planning. We planned about a month prior, but you know, when it finally happened. Happened, it was just a ton of fun. So please check us out at patreon.com slash second print pod. Yeah, that was a blast. We'll be running that next week uh, so we can have a little bit of a Thanksgiving break uh, for once. Because gosh darn it, I think we deserve it. We haven't taken any kind of break. Not that this is even a break since we still did another podcast, but uh, it'll it'll probably may feel like a break for us. Yeah, at, at least at least emotionally for a little bit. But anyway, this is uh, this is one of those moments that makes everything so worth it. Today we were talking about Ultimate X-Men Volume 1. This series is probably the one that got me not just hooked on the X-Men, but really Marvel Comics at the time. I was... It it was 2006. I had just started getting into comic books, and I was intimidated by really trying to jump into continuity for either of the main publishers, Marvel or or DC. Uh, It just seemed like I had no clue what was going on. Everything seemed a little bit stale-ish. This was after Civil War, so it was also really confusing. Captain America was dead. People knew who Spider-Man was. Iron Man was a dick. That whole thing. There was, like, only, like, a hundred a couple hundred x-men left so uh somebody i knew at my local comic book shop uh recommended hey you know the ultimate comics is really new it's written supposed to be for you know a a younger audience and you don't really have to know much to get on and what i liked about it is around 2006 2007 brian michael bendis at the time forced joe casada who was the editor-in-chief and some of the other publishers actually start putting recap pages at the beginning of the book which is something that all marvel comics have now the first page is a recap page and for superman action comics uh which bendis just recently stopped writing for his superman runs uh he also brought that over not in the same exact way but it was also the same so this this ultimate series uh you know it started in 2000 with ultimate spider-man ultimate fantastic four and ultimate x-men a few years later we were introduced to the ultimates and the whole premise as we discussed in the how did nick fury turn into a black dude episode was to create a universe fresh free from uh, prior constraints from canon and continuity that was more supposed to appear like the films like you know what the mtv generation was really looking at and the goal was was to basically bring all your characters back to kind of like their first day starting out but you were starting it in in the 2000s so you know looking at this now i can see all like oh this is a little bit dated but when this was coming out this was coming out right around the time of the first x-men film when i go to the comics i wanted to see what i saw in the movie and you're not going to get that from the regular x-men but you got that in ultimate x-men and this was uh, the ultimate line of comics from marvel was really my my marvel i i entered through the ultimate comics and then from there everything else happened so without this lineup i don't think i would be a fan i can say that confidently 
It's interesting because I think one of the things that, that uh, you know, as we talked about in the last episode, um, I, I got into Image Comics uh, for a similar reason because, I mean, first of all, it was the cool art and the cool artists hopping over from the books I already read at Marvel. Uh, but I also what also really appealed to me about that is that I could start these books from scratch. Uh, now, a lot of these books ended up going really nowhere. Youngblood, Wildcats, they all kind of petered in, petered out. Uh, but some of these books are still going today. And if you picked up those books from scratch, uh, like Savage Dragon or Spawn, I guess those are really the only two that are still going from the from that original run. But I mean, you're rewarded. You're now rewarded as a 30 year fan. Uh, right now, but at the time, it was also easier to be a new fan getting into these books because it wasn't intimidating. It wasn't like picking up uh, Spider Amazing Spider-Man issue 300, where there's all these issues, all these decades of backstory, and you might not understand who the Jackal is and who Norman Osborn is and who why there's 27 clones of Spider-Man, uh, whereas you can go into these books very fresh. So I, I, it seems like to you, uh, what Image was to me, the ultimate universe was to you, a place you can start fresh that actually feels like your own. Yeah, I, I can agree with that 100%, because, you know, the, these these stories stories crossed over like spider-man would cross over with x-men they all cross over fantastic four and ultimates so they had a shared universe but it was the fact that you know you're dealing in a time where it's not like you know there are thousands of super of super beings in the world this is really marvel square one in the in in the new millennium and i mean what's great about this i didn't actually know this until uh, probably like a few months ago so this was one of the first uh, mainstream series written by uh, mark millar and it was penciled by adam kubert and andy kubert brothers uh the editor at the time was joe casada joe casada gets a lot of shit for being a bad editor he was my editor when i walked in as a fan so i remember the casada era very well i don't have as harsh feelings about him as others do but to each their own i have i have a nice opinion of joe casada uh, my, my biggest memory of Joe Quesada growing up is drawing Ninjak. Yes. That's how I know Joe Quesada until I came back and said, oh, this guy's the editor in Marvel now. Okay. Yeah. And he, he even wrote a good Spider-Man. Uh, well, he even drew a good Spider-Man run. I think uh, I think the common criticism of him is he should have stuck, stuck to art and stayed away from business. But whatever. I'm, I'm not going to get mad at him. His stories are the ones I remember a lot of. And his era at Marvel, good or bad, was extremely transformative for the company, especially this was before the MCU. So this is when Marvel really had to focus on the comics, which is, I think, my criticism today. It feels like the comics are last for everything else. We can only hope to someday face the same criticism as Joe Quesada when we are uh, running our own comic book company and we're big time moguls uh, and people say, oh, they, those guys should have just stuck to podcasting. But that's what that's what haters say when they're jealous of your success. So, I mean, that, that, look into a crystal ball for Mark and Remzo, perhaps. Absolutely. And I mean, to uh, to to kind of rewind a little bit, uh, you know, it was funny. I learned this a few months ago. Mark Millar had actually never read an X-Men comic before starting. this. What? Yes. His introduction to the X-Men. That actually really bothers was me. 2000s was 2000s X-Men movie. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So he how, had Avengers. How is that he possible? Knew. How is that even possible for know. someone that worked in comics and presumably is a comic book fan? He he read Avengers. He says he said uh, some somebody asked him. It's like uh, who who's your favorite Avengers character? And I think in an interview he said Beast. And it's like, like wait a minute. Well, that's not te- that's not technically wrong. It's just far from what anyone would consider right because Beast was a member of the Avengers. That's kind of like my last pick in the draft that we won't reveal because it hasn't happened in in, in second print continuity yet. 
<laughs> what, what I'm mad about is that, and, and this is the last I'll mention that. What I'm mad about is that your guy technically slid in, and my team almost got disqualified. So I had to go ahead and sub a new character. If you want to hear all this shit before it comes out publicly, you gotta join you Patreon. Know what the controversy is about? You'll have yeah. to send us money <laughs> or wait a week. Yeah, Either so one. one or the other. But anyway, yeah, this was Mark Millar's first jump at x-men and he, he he had only known really about x-men lore for about a year getting ready for this so what you're gonna see is that the the ultimate x-men line it's very much the the x-men movie but more more aimed towards teenagers so uh volume one consists of of uh of six issues uh they're they're in this volume broken down as chapters you've got chapter one the tomorrow people chapter two the enemy within chapter three war zone chapter four betrayal chapter five killing fields and chapter six invasion Uh, i remember picking this up from my local barnes and noble because, you know, I at the time I, I had been recommended at a comic book store, but I didn't have the money. So I remember grabbing this and taking it home during a long summer at my grandmother's in Arizona. And uh, I loved it. But anyway, jumping into Ultimate X-Men issue one. That makes me so nostalgic for the days I used to buy comic book trade paperbacks at Barnes & Noble. And for the days that maybe Barnes & Noble exists. I'm not sure if it exists anymore, but I don't I certainly don't go to them anymore. That's for sure. Basically, their, their comic book line expanded a couple years ago. Then they're like, OK, one shelf. It's back to one shelf. And it's like, eh, they, they have a good graphic novel lineup. They sometimes get exclusive stuff. But I mean, this was th- this was right around the time that like graphic novels were becoming something that was actually driving a lot of profit for bookstores. And the ultimate comics were actually the most requested comics at the time. Uh, Lost stores were selling out of them. But uh, just off the bat, before we even go into the first page, the cover of this volume is actually the cover of issue one. Mark, I have to ask, when you look at this Wolverine, does the goatee bother you? It's well, yes. <laughs> it's not the it's not the first thing I thought of, but I, to me, well, this is something we'll talk about going forward with this book. And like, okay, it's not that it's bad. It's not like this art and this rendition of Wolverine is bad. It looks like if Wolverine was like I don't know, dr- drawn in like almost like anime, but it's not quite like anime. But it's. I thought that he was Puerto Rican. It, it feels when I saw very this. cartoony <laughs> and very, very not Wolverine. But you also know it's Wolverine because of the claws, basically just because of the claws. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they like the, the goatee was always a thing that kind of. I don't love it personally. It, I think they did that really to differentiate it. But this was this was two thousand. He looks like a Backstreet Boy. It's kind of it's kind of strange. I mean, it's it's little things like this that I don't love about this book. I guess we'll just start getting into opinions <laughs> while we're still on the cover. I, I don't know. Sometimes it's just there's there's. There's characters we know, we know who they are, and there's some minor tweak that's pretty much for no reason, but it's just to say, like, hey, look, it's it's an updated version. It's the 2000s now. Uh, my least favorite being Jean Grey and her short hair, but we can get to that. Uh, well, I mean, so we just we just we just criticized the cover, which at the time I thought was awesome. Now I look at it, I'm like, God, the 2000s are so cringy. The first. No, I actually hate look. I actually hate it now that I'm really, okay. looking, really examining well, well, this, it. This might make you feel really old. So the first page features uh, some some folks on the streets of some city in America, and you see a guy with a gogurt packet. I thought that what the hell is gogurt? Do you recognize that? You, it's not I recognize it. It's not labeled, but I I've remember never, because they I have don't. No idea what gogurt. So gogurt is. gogurt was like a tube that was filled with yogurt, like toothpaste. Kind of. You, you <laughs> ripped the top and you would squeeze it from the bottom and yogurt would come out. Who wants that? This guy. This, this it, was, it, was, to... it, was, it was in my lunch as a kid when this comic was coming out. But that's not the, <laughs> Wait, that's not the most. 
Oh my god! Like I do. I do feel old now. It's not. It's not Gogurt that makes you feel old. It's that you had a packed lunch at that time in your life, and I was, you know, a working adult male. Well, this will this will make you feel worse. <laughs> you, you see a redhead in the corner. I thought that so was Jean Grey the first time I turned this page. You, you almost wish it, but do you know I what she's listening it. to? That's not a Walkman, is it? That's a Walkman. It's not a Discman. I had to Google it. It's a Walkman. Well, this doesn't seem right because the mid what was this mid two thousands? This is two thousand. People had fully moved on. No, but we had moved on to Discmans even by 2000. We had? Well, it's not an iPhone. (laughs) It's not an MP3 player. No, it's certainly neither of those things. Okay, so anyway, we, we're on. We're now on page two. You, you, you see on the first page, these people looking <laughs> up the sky. This might be a line. long review, friends. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you see, uh, you, you see, you see these people looking up in the sky. Something is crazy. And next thing you go to the next page, and you see these sentinels falling from the sky, flying down. And at this point, you're like, oh. The Sentinels are here. What, what's going on? For those of you who don't know, the Sentinels are a classic X-Men series of villains. They're giant robot mutant hunters. So the X, so the, the Sentinels are flying over the city. And whether you know nothing about them or everything about them, it's a, it's a pretty killer look. Because immediately, the next couple of pages, you see these Sentinels going around zapping people in the city. And what you're seeing is the, the sentinels are basically going around murdering people with the mutant gene the sentinels have the ability to see it and they're zapping people and you see a guy get zapped walking towards his car you see a few more people on the sidewalk get zapped and then you see gogurt guy gogurt guy got blown up <laughs> that's officially and, his name now gogurt or gogurt well, guy. well what's that he's still name. holding the he's still holding the <laughs> gogurt he's dead and he's holding it so these Sentinels have no chill and immediately the next couple of pages. Oh my he- God. I just realized. Okay. I, the first time I read this. Okay. Now that I know about Gogurt, you know that the page where the Sentinel actually squashes this guy. Um, I thought that was blood. I now realize it's actually the Gogurt that they're showing the squirting out. So it's not as graphic as I thought, although he still is being crushed by a Sentinel boot. So. Yeah, but, but but what's crazy is the Sentinel, like, it zaps him. Then he's in the rubble with his dog. The dog is barking. The guy, the Gogurt guy is screaming. The Sentinel lands. And it says zapping him. It steps on him. And what's, <laughs> I don't know whether a laugh or think this is horrifying. To basically insinuate blood, what you see under the Sentinel's boot is the little last inch of the Gogurt tube. And it squirts out the rest of the Gogurt. Yeah, which so right I definitely now, saw as blood the first time until right now. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about these Sentinels is that in this, this was one of the first times you actually saw the Sentinels kill people. Uh, usually the Sentinels are just fighting the X-Men. They might attack somebody, but this is the first time actually, I think in comics, you actually really saw the Sentinels murdering people, just not even X-Men characters, just murdering mutants in the streets. And the next couple of pages, you basically hear that the Sentinels was a new program launched by uh, the U S government. It's just absolutely horrifying. And they're they're all over L.A. They're going around murdering people. And what you basically hear is that um, the the president of the United States is doing this to fight against mutants who are a threat to society. They specifically bring up the Brotherhood of Mutants, uh, which has has apparently been bombing uh, U.S. capitals across the country. These ones don't call themselves evil, so they improved on their marketing. Yeah, this is uh, this is very like Al Qaeda ish. And I, I say that yeah. because in the next page, you basically see that Magneto, who's sitting in a throne, he's got Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Can, his can we kids. pause for one second? I okay. want to ask a question. Now, this book says it's re- illustrated by Andy, Adam Kubert. Adam Kubert? 
Which, yeah. And I recognize his art in these early pages. This looks like totally different art. Is he just changing his style for these panels or is this a different artist? You can, you can see the totally different style. It's, right? him, I mean, it's, it's him and his brother. They switch. So between certain panels, depending on the on the mood and the vibe they're giving off, they, they did switch. Okay, because they don't credit any other Kubert. They don't credit Joe Kubert in this in the credits of this book. At least not the first issue. Let me. Yeah, the the one I have is Adam Kubert and Andy Kubert. Oh, okay. There's lots of Kuberts out there, my friend. Yeah. So so the brothers teamed up on this one. So what you basically see is that the artwork is a little bit different in the video that Magneto gives, basically saying that you know man is a parasite upon mutant resources and he eats our food and breathes our air and occupies land which evolution intended for Homo superior to inherit. That's what Magneto calls mutants. So Magneto basically comes off as like Osama bin Laden, mm-hmm. and then you go down, you hear that the Sentinels were created by former NASA engineer Boulevard Trask. So that you, you basically see a lot of similarities to mainstream Marvel canon, even down to the costumes in which they wear which will change throughout the series. But basically what you know up front, just the first couple pages is it sucks to be a mutant and they're going hard after you. And the brotherhood of mutants is going right back. They're very much terrorists in this comic, Um, which, you know, some people draw a line between where Magneto is on the villain anti-hero spectrum in the mainline uh, mainstream Marvel comics. But in this one, you're just set up to know Magneto will kill innocent people to get his point across. Yeah. I mean, to me, they're also setting up really quickly, like some level of sympathy, even for Magneto and the mutants. When you see how brutal these Sentinels are, they just go out and just kill people because they have this mutant gene. And I don't know, the Sentinel does this little blast, blows up this car. I mean, these these are government robots that are destroying public property. This doesn't seem like anybody should be okay with this. But so, I mean, I don't know. I'm already starting to think, yeah, Magneto, you shouldn't be killing innocent people. But, you know, these, these Sentinels and the, what the government's doing, uh, you know, this deserves to be combated. So I'm not saying I'm siding with terrorists like I sided with drug dealers at one point. I'm just saying there there is some sympathy potentially there. And it's obvious because what you what you begin to see is, you know, who who are they painting to be the ultimate aggressor in this comic? And from the first page, it's the Sentinels. And when they murdered Gogurt guy, you know, that that was the last straw. That was the last straw. (laughs) That's when the public started to turn against them. Like, you don't destroy our Gogurt, too. (laughs) Mutants. okay, they're they're dangerous. But Gogurt, we all love Gogurt. Now I want to try a Gogurt. I'm obsessed. It's just yogurt in a tube. I mean, it doesn't sound good, but I'm just curious. I'm fascinated. Does it still exist? Send me Gogurt if you're a real fan. Forget (laughs) reviews on iTunes, five stars. Those are great. Forget joining Patreon. Just send me some Gogurt. You can email Mark for his first P.O. box. Email secondprintpod at gmail.com and I'll I'll shoot you some info. There you go. There you go. So hashtag Gogurt episode. (laughs) Um, So the so the next page takes you away from the the news station that's talking about this. And now you're taken to San Diego. And what you see is this guy. He he looks kind of like a gorilla, but he's a human. And as this is happening, this dude who looks like a early 80s biker comes over to him and he's basically like, hey, man, what are you watching? And this this guy, this big mutant is watching basically the Sentinels kill people. And just from the way this looks, the biker guy with the pool stick looking all badass comes over and he's basically giving them a hard time. This is our first introduction to Beast. It might be a little bit different for people because people expect Beast to look like a giant blue fuzzball. But this is before that happens. This is actually pretty 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 
true to the original source material because when Beast was first introduced, he was just a very, you know, Beast-like person. The mutation to turn him into a furry person with cat-like features would come later. So this guy comes over, he's being a dick to Beast, and Beast is like, dude, just leave me alone and the guy who's obviously a racist is like i'm not gonna leave you alone he tries to attack beast with the pool stick and this is what's really cool you flip the page and you see beast he, he does one of his classic moves where he just basically leaps off and he curls into a ball and then he attacks the guy by like drop kicking him in his face i one, one thing i love about beast compared to other x-men is that he's got a very unique fighting style and depending on the artist they either do it really poorly or really really well this is probably the best examples of beast you know using his uh, powers and just completely demolishing somebody he fights like a big acrobatic ape which is kind of what he is yeah yeah so uh beast is basically getting kicked out of the bar because you know he, he's a mutant and beast is like come on man don't don't kick me out that guy can't mean with a pool cue and uh the the bartender's just full-on anti-mutant at this point in, he's fairness, like, yeah. uh, in fairness i mean after seeing that first scene with uh, the death of goger guy uh may he rest in peace we uh it's it seems like a hazard to have a mutant in your bar because the sentinels might just come and blow it up so you know i mean i can't really i mean i can fault him but you know rest in power Gogurt, man rest in power Gogurt, man <laughs> can't wait for the todd mcfarling special edition of uh chadwick Boseman bozeman Gogurt man edition of spawn oh my lord so anyway the, the guy's just a dick and he kicks out beast i agree with you mark but he doesn't have to call him a freak and all that stuff he's just no, a that jerk. was going a little far <laughs> yeah you could have been but, nice about it you're like bro you've seen these sentinels i'm sorry uh, they're gonna you know i got a lot of booze back here i don't want to lose it and here and here's where we meet one of our other primary characters. Beast is walking out of the bar and uh, he sees this, you know, cute redhead standing outside the entrance. And she's like, don't you ever wonder what it would be like to live in a place where the locals aren't organizing a lynch mob? The second you walk through the door, Henry McCoy and Beast looks at her and he's like, who the heck are you? And she just looks at him with that like devil may care smile. I like this version of Jean Grey. I'll say I know you don't like the short hair. I I like I I like this one. She's like the best thing that happened to you since they started doing Reebok in the size 42 handsome and she she looks very different from your traditional Jean Grey and I I like this one I like this one she's got those giant lips and the short hair I I dig it I dig it I I can't I this might be my real life biases coming into effect but I I cannot I hate short wear hair on women I just I don't hate the the person of course but it's uh let's just say it's um uh, you know it's not what I'm into let's put it that way so you know seeing it on Jean Grey didn't really change my opinion whatsoever well, the, the next one, I mean, the, the, the outfits now, the alone corset, are so... The corset, I'm cool with. <laughs> yeah, like, this is so this is so late 90s, like, Nickelback fashion. It's funny, <laughs> but uh, the next page takes you to Athens, Texas. Jean Grey walks into a local sheriff's office, and she basically uses her psychic ability to pretend to turn up... Uh, this is funny. A blockbuster video membership... She makes it appear in the mind of this sheriff as an FBI badge. And just right there, we've seen Gogurt. We've seen Blockbuster. Yeah. Blockbuster. I didn't, I didn't even notice Walkmans. that the first time. I'm just noticing it now. And just the, in that one panel that she's, when she's holding it behind her back on her. Yeah. On her tuchus, so to speak. Yeah. So. So like and, and this is. <laughs> That's this what my dad so, says. He says tuchus. Is, no, I'm thing. just I, I'm sorry. I'm just distracted by the fact that this is Blockbuster. 
But uh, but anyway, she uses that to sneak her way in, and what you find I'm just is gonna that... age myself for a second with a little side rant. There Uh-oh. was really something charming about going to Blockbuster. You probably still did experience this I did. at some level, but yeah. there was something charming about going to Blockbuster with a friend or two, having to pick out the movie, because... It was a commitment. Like, you have to make a decision about this movie, and that's the movie you're watching. Like, there's no going back. You're probably going to get a movie or two, and that's your night. Now it's like, you now you stream something. Now, maybe if you're not that into it, it's like, okay, I can just go you now watch something else. Here, no, this is a major commitment, and it really turned movie watching with a friend or what have you, friend, girlfriend, whatever it may be, into like an event. It was like a real thing. Like, oh, here's the part we pick the movie. Here's the part we get the snacks. And, we're, you know, it's, and now it's just like, eh, you're at home. Like, okay, let's just see what's on on your brows it doesn't have that same magical feel to it and yes uh the youngins probably make i probably sound really old right now to them that's okay i, I mean this is why this comic with age comes wisdom the youngins so listen to me man, man this is why i love about this volume specifically because i'm a child of the 90s and for me reading this it's like they're doing and seeing and experiencing the same world i am so when i read this i, I make fun of it now but it's coming from the point of like this is this is what I love about comics. They transport you back to good moments. So anyway, uh, Jean Grey sneaks in, pretends to be an FBI agent, and what you see is she's busting out Ororo Monroe, who is what, Storm. What was that name again? Ororo. 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 <laughs> you sound like Scooby-Doo saying Ororo. Yeah, I never liked it. But anyway, she's she's been out and about breaking into cars she's basically a petty thief and you know as uh gene gray she's basically, jason todd basically basically so as gene gray is busting her out uh storm is like oh no you're not another one of magneto's stupid lackeys are you i already told him i'm not interested in enslaving the human race so this gives you a little bit more backstory what you hear is that all this stuff has been happening for a while and obviously magneto has been planning something big so uh, Jean Grey grabs her. They're like, we got to get out of here. And she's like, relax, sweetheart. My name is Jean Grey, and you're working for the competition now. So now you're starting to realize, oh, Jean Grey is obviously finding these people. The, the next part is probably one of my favorites. You basically see Colossus in New York, and he's selling guns to the mob. And what you basically see is that he's basically used as as a transporter for stuff and you know long story short a mob deal goes bad everyone starts shooting at each other and as everyone else is dead you see colossus uses mutant powers which are shaded pretty eerily so that way you can't see how he's going to look in this version and after the the gun blast is settled half the people are dead and the others have escaped you see a full page spread of colossus in you know just he's giant he's big he's muscular he's full-on silver and people are terrified of him and i gotta say a lot of people don't do colossus well much like this is probably my favorite version of gene gray this is probably one of my favorite colossus panels i'm just gonna say it i won't complain about the colossus you won't get the same complaints from me yeah he does look pretty cool here yeah so uh everyone else is dead or gone and Colossus is like, what am I doing with my life? I hate doing this. And this is when Jean Grey comes back and she's like, hey, man, I know what's going on. We're going to take care of you. And Colossus is just emotionally broken. You see him cry. And like, there's a hug. He just he just needs a hug. He's like, I I, I hate this. I don't want to do this. And, you know, short haired yet otherwise hot redhead. 
Yeah, but but what's really telling is like it's hard to make a big scary person look like they have emotion. You, it's really hard to emote for certain artists when they show the tears coming down his face while he's still metal. That's one thing. But in the last panel, when they kind of zoom out and you see Jean Grey hugging him, telling him it's gonna be okay, you can see that he reverts back to being just regular. Almost like his emotional state is uh, reflective of his physical metallic state. Or lack yeah. thereof. Now here is where they introduce my least favorite X-Man. The next page takes you to Xavier. Isn't he the, everyone's least favorite X-Man? Basically. Does the next page kid ever said, you know who I love? Uh, well, I'll let you I'll let you reveal it. Let me get to this part, because I, I hate I hate this guy. But we are we are at the Xavier Institute for Gifted Children. It's different than the mainstream one because it's the Xavier Institute for Gifted Youngsters. And this one, they changed it to children to uh, look more like the X-Men Which movie. Because they're not children. I mean, they're they're all supposed to be in, I think, they're like 19, 18, 19. Something like that. Something like that. But uh, they actually give you ages, which we'll, we'll get to later because that actually causes some problems. Let's put yes. it that way. Yes. So what you see is everyone's least favorite X-Man, Cyclops. And he's basically, you know, everyone is in their X-Men uniforms, which look a lot like the movies. And, uh, you know, he's basically like, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Scott Summers. But as long as we're in uniform, I recommend you all get used to calling me Cyclops. Now, before we meet the professor, I want you all to run through your code names one more time and they're just like uh, I can't believe I'm saying this but my code name is Storm and then Colossus looks like a badass it's, these X-Men uniforms I, I know everyone has their own like favorite X-Men costume but these X-Men uniforms I hope they use them in the MCU at some point but they, it's I black. like the uniforms I'll say yeah. that yeah, it's black leather with uh, yellow accents and they're all they're like, they look like a team that's why like I like more of a it. dark blue to me something like it but it, it does it remind like you of the navy. X-Men films uh, yeah, I suppose it does to an extent. Yeah. But uh, but what's funny here is like one, at one point, Beast is like, am I the only one that finds Beast kind of derogatory? And that's that's kind of funny <laughs> about his nickname. Yeah. Like Colossus is pretty cool. Storm is pretty cool. Jean is just Jean, isn't she? Jean yeah, is Marvel so Girl. Oh, Marvel Girl. That's right. Because she says I, Marvel that, Girl. I've always hated that name. They, they face it out. That's why I always call her Phoenix or Jean Grey. I just call her Jean. We're on a first name basis. At least yeah. when she has long hair. <laughs> so anyway, they, they go in and uh, basically what you learn is that the uniforms are special. They basically block sentinels from identifying you as having the mutant gene. Uh, you see people in and around the Which place. Which seems like a stretch, it. to be honest, because it's not even covering their whole body. How is that even possible? They, they emit be, Because, why, Mark? Because, because comics. comics. Of course. What was I thinking? That's why. So what you see is that that's why they all have to wear those specific uniforms. You see people just working and getting stuff done. What you learn is that. Um, I like that we actually at least get an explanation for a superhero spandex uniform normally they just because i'm a superhero i got to change into this weird outfit but there actually is a reason for it here so i like that i appreciate the attempt yeah and, and i mean what they also do explain like all the workers are like painting and fixing up the place uh they, they've been basically hypnotized into not seeing anybody but their co-workers and what you hear is that there's some voice talking to them in their head and it happens to be professor charles xavier in the library and he says hello my name is charles xavier you'll have to forgive me for not standing up and it's funny because you see him in his wheelchair and he looks very patrick stewart-esque that's why i like about this version he's 
very Patrick Stewart esque, and he's basically explaining, "Listen, you're you're my X Men. You are here to basically protect mutants and to help enable my vision of creating a world where mankind and mutants live amongst each other." And what you're basically getting here now is basically the ultimate version of how. Professor X ended up in a wheelchair and ended up on the outs of Magneto. Very similar in a way to how they alluded in the first X-Men film. Basically, Magneto and Charles Xavier were trying to set up a sanctuary in the Savage Land, which was going to be a refuge for uh, mutants. Magneto and him had a falling out. And long story short, uh, as Magneto wanted to start invading and ruling the world, Charles Xavier was like, we're not doing that. They got into a fight. And you see this panel... Uh, Magneto impales Professor X with a large metal spike. And all Professor X has to say is, let's just say Magneto and I had some something of a fallout. And uh, it's, you know, it's it's pretty it's pretty graphic. They have a few different stories for why Professor X ends up in the chair. But this one's probably the most most egregious. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense and it ties it right into the the storyline and the introduction of Magneto. So I'm, I'm good with this this uh, sort of tweaking of the that that part of the story. Yeah. So the next page, he's basically. I also like, like that we don't get the full thing. We just see that one panel of the, the yeah, that spear going through him. So you they, know, they it's alluded to. Yeah. Yeah, they, they eventually explain it in in a full full explainer in a couple of different comics. But like, I like the fact that you're getting all you need to know about this. So whether you know about the X Men or not, you're getting everything, especially as you're understanding this is really a new universe. Because I mean, the fact that they dropped the Savage Land in issue one. Also is, is pretty cool because Savage Land won't end up until in the X-Men comics until way later. So Magneto, I'm sorry. So Professor X puts on Cerebro and he's like, Cerebro amplifies my psychic abilities. And long story short, he's sending them on their first mission, which is to find a 15 year old boy who ran away from home after when his when he realized he was a mutant. He's terrified that his parents might find might get hurt if the Sentinels attacked his suburban home. His name, I believe, is Bobby Drake. And I'm afraid even he isn't sure what his powers are yet. And uh, this is this is really sad because what you see is Bobby Drake. Obviously, he's Iceman. He, he's Who just you a kid. hate, especially after the X Men draft. And uh, we'll just leave that as a teaser. I, I will say I hate <laughs> I hate mainstream Iceman right now. I like Ultimate Iceman, and they're very they're very different. Let's put it that way. They're very different. But anyway, they go off to Times Square, New York. They're wearing their stuff. And like Storm is making fun of the outfits, which is funny. She's like, I must be out of my mind. It's a Saturday night and I'm dressed like an action figure and prowling the streets for some zip faced teenager. Remind me how Xavier talks me into this again, Cyclops. (laughs) And uh, Cyclops is like, because you know what it's like to be on the run, Storm. Besides, could you really lie around watching TV while this poor kid gets barbecued and in the next Sentinel swoop? And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because you're seeing them all kind of do their thing. They look awkward in this. And this is funny because the ultimate lie of comics is supposed to make things feel as real as possible. So the fact that this is their version of real costumes, and even if they're supposed to be, quote, real, they're still uncomfortable and making them look stupid. It, it's it's kind of funny. It's almost self-aware in a way, which I like. I mean, they, they would certainly stand out in the crowd wearing these on the, on the streets of New York. Yeah. Even even in the 90s, early 2000s. But just like everyone else, the world is not safe for anybody. You see the Sentinel swoop from the sky and fall in Times Square. And I mean, that, that Sentinel artwork right there. I, I can't call it photogenic, but it's definitely as like early 2000s art, art-like as I possibly can. If you don't know what I mean, I'm sorry, that's the best way I could describe it. But this is... 
this is what the Ultimate Comics were known for. Very, very much in that like Image Comics vein, almost cartoony, but I think it looks badass. But anyway, they're they're going after uh, Bobby Drake Iceman. He doesn't have you know a uniform like them. So while the Sentinels aren't going after the X Men, they detect Iceman. So Beast jumps through a bus that Bobby Drake is in, and he's trying to find him. A Sentinel picks up the bus, and quickly Beast uh, grabs the kid, and they jump out as the Sentinels are now chasing them. So this is where you get to see really everyone else's powers because we've just really seen uh, Beast, Jean Grey's, and Colossus at this point. But now you get to see Storm, and she is in this phase of her life where she can't really understand how to use her pro- her powers properly. So they're like, come on, Storm, you got to take down these robots. You use lightning. Robots and lightning don't go well. So what you see is she basically decapitates a couple of Sentinels with lightning. But because she doesn't understand really how to control her powers, she ends up passing out. So while Cyclops is like, whoa, so much for the girl who couldn't control her powers. You took out three Sentinels in a single strike. And he turns around and, you know, he's like Storm. And he sees her passed out. And he's like, oh, shit. And um, that's another thing. In the other comics, characters didn't curse, even though they don't show it here. The fact that you can tell that he's cursing, it's like, oh, this yeah, that's, that's a genuine reaction. They do that, you know, cursing with, uh, you know, some of the like, apostrophes and uh, yeah, the special characters and, sort of and stuff. Yeah. So what you continue to see is that. Uh, they're, they're all trying to figure out how to get away from the remaining Sentinels. These Sentinels are just blowing up the city. And what's cool is at one point, uh, Beast gets these two Sentinels on both ends of him to aim their blasters at each other. But he jumps in time, so that way the, the Sentinels blast each other in the face, and that's really cool. They're still trying to go around. You finally see some optic blast uh, action from Cyclops. And as soon as, you know, the team is kind of on the ropes, they don't really know how to work together really well. They're still trying to master their powers in the serious combat environment. Luckily, we get to finally figure out what Bobby Drake's powers are. As I mentioned, Iceman, he finally uses his ice powers. So he goes and he freezes an entire Sentinel, which is about to fall on a ton of people, a ton of, uh, you know, just innocent people, apart from just the X-Men. So they're like, oh, my God, did did that just happen? And Bobby Drake is finally in his ice form. And he's like, did I do that? So everyone is kind of circling a lot around the X-Men and Beast grabs Bobby and he lifts up his arm and he's like, ladies and gentlemen, a round of applause for the Iceman, please. And how do the civilian uh, humans reward him? They throw a liquor bottle at his face <laughs> and they you start jerk. screaming. They, they start screaming at him. They're like, get out of here. And Beast is like, come on, you, you you just split his head open, you idiot. And this woman, a total Karen, is like, good, I hope he's dead. Maybe then freaks like you will finally get the message. And Jean Grey, this is actually pretty cool. This is what I like about her. She's not this, you know, like, like angry, middle-aged, uh, you know, school teacher she she starts lifting up hammers and bricks and she's about to start attacking these she's people She's about to go to town on these these people yeah yeah until cyclops comes over and he's like let go gene they're they're not worth it so quickly as they're running a cop it pulls wouldn't out do a much gun. for mutant relations if she just murdered a bunch of people with these with hammers and bricks what, 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 what what's crazy and i mean you see the civilians running but you see a you see a drawing of a cop he just pulls out a gun and starts shooting he even say freeze or whatever he just starts shooting at them it's like this this world sucks yeah, this sometimes. absolutely sucks. So we we get to the next page where, where we're at is in the savage land and Magneto and his team. They're watching some screens and they're like, hey, looks like Xavier's alive and well. And, you know, apparently these X-Men are going around saving mutants. So now you see Magneto. He he looks like a real supervillain. Like he looks absolutely freaky. 
And uh, what you basically have is you have this guy. He looks like some token Middle Eastern terrorist name, Ahmed. And apparently he was going to go ahead and sell him, like, weapons or some shit. So this this isn't really important. But what you basically see is that, obviously, Magneto's working with other terrorists and evil people. This is a this is right around the time of 9-11. So what Magneto does when this deal doesn't go right is he's like, hey, you've got a metal pacemaker, right? Uh, tell me, are you still fitted with that pacemat, that pacemaker, that pacemaker after a lifetime of <laughs> You'll overeating get it. Come on, and neglect? You can do it. Pacemaker. Say pacemaker three times. Pacemaker, 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 pacemaker. There you go. And what he's basically insinuating is that you've got it, right? So Magneto literally pulls this man's pacemaker out of his heart, just straight out of his chest. And it's it's gross as hell. So next thing you know, Magneto just walks away while this guy is bleeding out, giant hole in his chest. And uh, Magneto's like, you know, we, we got to take out these X-Men. If Xavier's coming back and he's got a team of mutants like us, we, we got to stop him. So um, uh, Magneto looks at his son, Quicksilver, and he's like, shut up, Pietro. Charles would, sh- would close down your mind before you were halfway across the Pacific Ocean to take him down. I need a qualified assassin to find and kill him before he converts any other young mutants to his naive and integrationist ideals. Tell the Wolverine he has a new assignment. And now in the last page, we see Wolverine. He looks horrifying. He has his claws out impaled in in a crocodile. Is that a crocodile or is it a dinosaur? It could be a dinosaur. It looks like he might be in the Savage Land. Yeah, well, this is the Savage Land. I always just assumed it was a crocodile, but it would make more sense it's a dinosaur. Now that I really look at it closely, I think it's a dino. It could be a crocodile, but I think it's a dino. Still, anyway, so. what's the difference? Have you seen that alligator in Florida? The, that thing, the week? yeah, it's, it's like uh, 15 feet. It's a dinosaur. They're the same thing. We live in Jurassic Park. Yeah, so that that Wolverine looks scary as hell. Knowing that he's starting off in Magneto's team, that's scary. So that that is that is issue one. What are your thoughts of that? Um. Well, okay, my, my thoughts reading it as, see, it's probably, I think we came at this from two totally different places because for you, it's kind of like your first introduction to these characters. For me, I grew up as an X-Men fan, so I already know the X-Men. I have this whole history with the X-Men. And to me, I'm just seeing a slightly tweaked version of the X-Men origin. So I am I think it's good. Like, I like it. I, I appreciate the characterization you know, of certain things, of the characters, of showing us how they're, you know, how like Storm doesn't fully grasp her powers. It kind of messes her up to use them. Um, at the same time, though, I, I'm, it's like, I don't see the, I almost don't see the point. You know, like to me, it's like, this isn't so vastly different from the X-Men that I know that, that I see a reason for it. It just seems like, you know, a slight reimagining of the X-Men, which is fine. Much It's much like a movie or a cartoon might be. And I guess that it kind of is the point to capture the people that are going to the movie or going to the cartoons and not have them intimidated, you know, from the business aspect of, of getting them into these other comic books where they might be more intimidated to pick up at this time, like Uncanny X-Men number 392, uh, whereas they're not going to be so intimidated to pick up something called X-Men number one or Ultimate X-Men number one. Uh, so at this point, I'm enjoying it. I'm just I'm just. I don't know. I'm not blown away. I'm just seeing it as like, okay, this is like a a, a fair enough remake of the X Men, but I it, it's not so different that I'm like wowed by it. And yeah, I guess that's pretty basically where I'm at. This is pretty much where I'll stay the rest of the time, though. Spoiler alert. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean that, that's fair. And I mean the this the Ultimate Comics were not made for readers who already knew what was going on. Yeah. So I understand right. where right. where you're and coming from me. with that. That's a that's a perfect criticism. Yeah, but like uh, I can't really criticize the story too bad itself. Like it's fine. It's 
it's a pretty good telling of the origin story for modern times. I just, you know, from my comic standpoint, I don't need an origin of the X-Men that is just slightly different. If I want to read an origin of the X-Men that's different, I want it to be different. You know, I want it to be really like, whoa, this is way different. So to me, it's, it's a slight tweak on characters that I already know. And it's interesting and fun. That's where we're at. I'm having, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disliking it. I'm not hating it. Uh, it's just not, you know, it's not blowing my mind. I, <laughs> I guess it. I don't know how else to put it. I hear you. Well, anyway, we're on to issue two, and Wolverine has been dispatched to go infiltrate the X-Men and I kill... I will say, I like the Wolverine on this cover. I think you're reading the trade, so I'm not sure if you have the covers, because I'm going through on Marvel Unlimited, but uh, I do like the Wolverine on this cover a lot better than that, than that last Wolverine. Looks a lot less cartoony, a lot scarier, a lot more yeah. Wolverine-y. For, for this one, they've got Cyclops blasting through what appears to be a brick wall, and it's pretty cool. I, I don't like Cyclops, so... I mean, I, I will just never find Cyclops. We must have really different covers. Look at mine. Is that a different one than they have? In the oh, book? very. Oh yeah, because mine has Wolverine and it barely shows Cyclops doing anything. He's, he's yeah, blasting my, something. My, mine is a full-on thing of Cyclops. Okay, so anyway, we're on to issue two. The Wolverine has landed in New York to go ahead and kill him. As he comes through immigration, this other mutant that Magneto was assigned to pick up Wolverine is like, you know, I, I know I was able to go ahead and clear uh, the mind of the TSA agents of you know your your mutant gene, which apparently. Apparently, like mutant detecting technology is everywhere. So that's something I, that you see, so, yeah. see more so in this one than any other X-Men series, depending, I mean, regardless of the universe. But the guy, uh, the, the kid makes a joke. He's like, how do you get through with an adamantium skeleton? So they, what they've established is that this is the Wolverine the way you know him, basically. And, uh, you know, he, he looks at the kid. He's like, three words, bub. I'm a professional. And as they're walking out of the airport, you know, he's just bickering back and forth with the kid. And what I will say about this version of Wolverine, yeah, like this is Wolverine with the goatee, but they also give him a ponytail, which I mean, I'm not offended by it, but this is uh, it's different. It's as it's as unnecessary as Jean Grey's short hair. I don't see it as an improvement that 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 bothers you that much for Jean Grey. Um, the little Bob. I, wouldn't, I don't know about that much. I, I certainly don't like it. All right. But you're OK with. Ponytail Wolverine. I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't judge men the same way I judge women. So uh, it does. I don't care as much. I guess. Is it because you've got the Jesus look? It might be. That do might you be. ever? Do you ever do a ponytail? <laughs> it's getting very personal, Remzo. Serious question. Um, n- no, not as a style. Okay. Occasionally, depending on your activity, it might be convenient when you're someone like me with longer hair to tie that hair up when you're doing something around the house or working out or something, but not as I would not be wearing it out in the street personally. Okay. So I'm not about to tell Wolverine he shouldn't. That's for sure. Because he's the best at what he does, but he might not be in this situation because they're walking out. What you basically see is a bunch of soldiers on the on the rooftop of a building across from him. And as Wolverine's walking around, he's like, hey, something's wrong. And next thing you know, you see Wolverine and the kid get lit up by a hail of gunfire just all over the place and what you see is this guy he's like hold your fire we got him and the soldiers walk over and the kid and wolverine seem to be dead so they just like this world sucks they're they're sentinels going around just killing people indiscriminately like gogurt man uh you got mutant detection equipment detect detection equipment everywhere and you've just got like hit squads of soldiers around just murdering people in the street so yeah that that's where we're at right now. I'm surprised there's not more public resistance to these attacks on mutants because they're clearly uh, a bit of a public disturbance. 
Yeah. Speaking of public disturbance, I got to say the next page, we see a two page uh, spread of the X jet flying past the um, the Statue of Liberty. And I got to say, uh, I like I like this version of the X jet. It's a it's a B-72 bomber stealth 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 uh, stealth jet. And usually, like in the movies, it was an SR seventy one. In the in the comics and cartoons, it's a little bit different. But I, I I like this version of the X Jet. I'm okay with it. It's it looks like um, you know, like a uh, I'm trying to think of the name, the Stealth Fighter, the Stealth, uh, you know, that that jet that was supposed to be a government secret for years, and then we found out it was real. Yeah, yeah. Is that not B seventy two? No, B seventy two is the big one from World War two. This is it's this the, is it's like the black stealth jet. Only this one has a stealth fighter. Is that what it's called in real life? Yeah, stealth know. fighter. It's a it's yeah. a big bomber. Only That's this what one it has is. green green lines on it too. Yeah, so it's it's a cool version of the X jet, and uh, you know they they call it the Blackbird, and uh, yeah, they're 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 out there doing that. They're basically just like Gene is test driving it. You see that. Uh, Beast is doing some repairs. I think he's on the wing while this thing is flying. That's pretty crazy, but only Beast could do that. Uh, you see Bobby and uh, Cyclops just hanging around, and you know, at one point, uh, Jean Grey, and this is where she finally reveals her age, and this is going to be kind of important. Um, she's she's commenting on on uh on cyclops and basically beast is wondering are you guys like a thing or not and you know beast is like so what's the story with you guys anyway storm reckons she heard cyclops sneaking into your room the other night and jean gray is like well i guess she needs to get her ears tested henry poor scott spent the last year and a half trying to pluck up the courage to ask me out to a movie and beast is like you think the guy who can lobotomize the sentinel single-handedly fumbles his lines in the presence of a skinny little 19 year old redhead and yeah, you know, she replies back. And what I gotta say, I like about this Jean Grey is that she's witty. She she's witty. Uh, she she replies back, and she's like, "Oh, you're you're some type of Casanova," and uh, you know, it's just it's just banter. So you're starting to see more of the personality of these people come out. And uh, you know, this is this really shows you that they are this young. They are still the teenagers that they were in you know the '60s when Stan Lee and uh, Jack Kirby introduced them. Yeah, and uh, I, I guess they do a decent job of sort of, you know, differentiating their personalities, which I don't know if the books I've read all those books from the 60s. And this is probably just, um, you know, kind of how comics altogether were back then. Characters often spoke all the same, you know, like the five X-Men in those early X-Men books. Uh, you can't you could you could probably interchange some of their dialogue and they would never necessarily seem like separate characters, not to disparage those early creators because they were innovative for their time. Uh, but nowadays, to really compel readers, you have to really differentiate differentiate characters from each other, not have such cookie cutter dialogue. And they do, they do do a good job that Mark Millar does do a good job of giving these characters personalities uh, of their own from the beginning. Yeah, and, and I mean that's what I like about it. they're different. I can't say that there are many other runs where I feel that they did a, a really impressive job with with really making them separate. That's my opinion of female characters in the X Men. I feel that a lot of female X Men characters are really just kind of similar to each other in the way that they act and behave and talk. Uh, other than Rogue, because she's just so different and like you have to write her almost like a stereotype but i like the fact that here they really try and do that you know for atomic that for a comedy that was aimed toward teens it's pretty smart for how they do it so i appreciate that so anyway uh professor x brings them back into the the building and he's looking at cerebro and he's like basically like hey guys i heard this thing just happened uh there was uh there was an incident where 
the government may have just kidnapped uh, a mutant. But here's the thing: it's not just any mutant. It's hard to tell. I'm afraid there's so many implant there are so many implants in his head. It's impossible to be sure. But I suspect we're dealing with the Wolverine, and everyone is like, "What? What's going on?" And Storm is like, uh, "Would somebody mind telling us newbies who Wolverine actually is, so we can, you know." all PR pants too. And uh, Cyclops comes over. He's like, Wolverine is the most dangerous killer in the world storm. The only proof he even exists is a blur picture taken during the Gulf war. All we know about him is that he was part of some black ops unit in the days when the Pentagon just exploited mutants as opposed to regularly executing us. Rumor has it. He escaped 18 months ago and nobody's seen him since. I guess this means his former masters have finally caught up to him. So this is actually pretty cool because when they introduced Wolverine in the comics as part of being, the Canadian government, uh, he was still kind of not known. The fact that he's known as this secret, mysterious killer who's been around forever, that's uh, that, that really sets him up as somebody that has a big reputation throughout this universe. Yeah, like you say the wolf, the name Wolverine and people know who you're talking about. Like he is known as as this sort of, uh, you know, this, I guess, famous, infamous assassin. Yeah. And I mean, we're about to get a little bit more into this idea, but what you Wait, see which makes sense because he's supposed to be much older than I mean, in, even in the comics, he's much older. He's been around for you know at least a couple hundred years, uh, so it makes sense that you know if if this guy has been around assassinating people for years, has been in this universe for so much longer than all these kids, it makes sense that people know who Wolverine is at this point, especially how they're starting this story basically from scratch. Yeah, and I mean, the next uh, page we're we're in this like mobile command unit where they're holding uh, Wolverine behind these adamantium, you know, uh, prison bars. And we see this guy come out. We see uh, John Wraith, who seems to be an officer in the Weapon X program. So now we're really this is this is so much like the films that. I mean, you, you really understand that when Millar said he, he knew nothing about it. The fact that he's starting us up off on Weapon X and issue two of this new series shows you something. But John Wraith and Wolverine know each other. And basically what they've done is they've kidnapped Wolverine and they're going to bring him back to Weapon X. And what they're going to do is they're going to go ahead and wipe his memory and turn him back into a weapon. And as these other soldiers are sitting around Wraith and they're intimidated by this mutant with the metal claws, Wraith is like, ah, don't worry about him. Here, watch this. So he picks up a rifle and he like blows 20 rounds in the Wolverine and what he basically shows them is listen guys um, you can do whatever you want to him because no matter how much you go ahead and attack him he's not going to get back up so what you basically see is that when they say that they treat mutants like shit they treat them really like shit. So John Wraith was like, hey, guys, come over here. Grab your guns. So they all get, grab their rifles. They go in front of the cell and they just start shooting Wolverine for fun. So Bastards. like this is what I like about the series is they really show the the prejudice and the violence, not just in yeah. the language, but in just the absolute torture of mutants from the smushing of go of Goker guy to the, the torturing of Wolverine by just shooting him, knowing he's going to I mean, this is worse than killing someone. This is just blowing them up with bullets, knowing they're going to heal, knowing he's going to be in pain. And then, oh, we're going to do this again tomorrow, too. So, yeah, it's yeah, up, man. Yeah, so we, we get to the next page, and what we basically see is that the guys driving the mobile command center are like, wait, there's something in the road. And this is a, this is a pretty cool uh, spread. You basically see the, the Blackbird in the middle of the road, and in front of it you see the X-Men all standing there in their superhero pose. And Cyclops looks at Storm. <laughs> That's what you'd be hearing at the music kicking in, yeah. kicking in if you're watching the animated series. Exactly. So you see Cyclops standing in the middle as the leader. I feel like he's really the leader in the series. I'll, I'll give this ultimate Cyclops that because you almost don't feel that in the regular comics anywhere. Like he's the leader, 
but he doesn't look or feel like the leader. This Cyclops feels like the leader. So he looks at Storm and he's like, blow them away, Storm. And all of a sudden, you know, this wind completely knocks them off the road. Uh, the X-Men begin fighting these soldiers and eventually um, they're about to go ahead and break Wolverine out. So Wolverine basically uh, is able to escape because Beast goes ahead and, you know, tricks the doors into opening up. Wolverine runs out and out of nowhere, he grabs a motorcycle and just like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible 2, he, he's just like flying around. Somehow he was able to get a ramp and he's like flying through the air, this motorcycle. and He's going after General Wraith. I'm sorry, Colonel Wraith. Uh, Wraith is escaping and all of a sudden... Um, uh, what happens is Wolverine's able to get in front of this car. They veer off the road and it hits a tree and Wraith and his driver basically get thrown out the front door. I'm sorry, thrown out the front windshield. So as they're all screwed up in this accident, Wolverine jumps over to Wraith and he's about to cut his head off. That's when, really nasty when they show him with all the glass all in his face. Yeah. So, I mean, Wolverine just looks crazy. Even in the scene where he's like on a tree limb and he's looking at him, it looks like his eyes are glowing. They really want you to know that this might not be the Wolverine you want. This is an all different, all killer type of Wolverine. All new, all different. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. Remember that relaunch? <laughs> that, was, that was, we don't talk about that. That was the biggest non-relaunch of all time, but maybe yeah. for another day. Probably so, so basically, Wolverine's about to kill Wraith, and Marvel Girl jumps out, and she's like, Wolverine, no, don't kill him. I can't imagine what that animal put you through over the years, but murder him out here like this, and you're going to, all you're going to do is prove that the papers are right about us. The fact that he said paper and not the internet or the media is just, <laughs> right, right. just another not thing. Twitter. Yeah, so what Wolverine does instead is he just basically takes his claws and he runs them down Wraith's face, scarring him. And he's like, babe, do I look like a kind of guy who lies at night, awake, who lies awake at night worrying about the public's perception of mutants? And, uh, you know, at this point, they're like, what, what are we going to do with you? What are we really going to do? So what uh, Marvel Girl ends up doing is she picks him up using her telekinetic abilities and basically, like, batters him against uh you know, a, a, a small side of a cliff until he's knocked out. And uh, everyone's kind of looking at Marvel Girl. They're like, damn, we didn't know you could do that with your powers. So they, you know, basically Wolverine's incapacitated. They're and like, they, we, could, we thought you could just make people see like uh, block, blockbuster cards as uh, FBI agent cards. Though. We didn't know this was going on. Yeah, this, this is a whole new thing. So long story short, uh, that's over. Now we go back to the Savage Lands. Magneto and his Brotherhood of Mutants are basically saying, listen, uh, we hear that there's this big plan coming from the White House where they're about to go ahead and, you know, wipe us out. We don't know what's going on, but kind of leaves us there. So that's that's issue two. And a good intro to Wolverine, I think. I'm not a big fan of the ponytail, but when it comes to the action, the <laughs> violence, the badassery, yeah, I can, ponytail I can take aside, it. Ponytail aside, I thought this was a pretty good introduction to Wolverine. He's being portrayed to us at first, at least through Magneto, as... I guess a bad guy, at least from the uh, how they reference him from the first time. They're saying, you know, I'm going to hire Wolverine. But we see here he's more of um, he's already becoming slightly more of a, you know, sort of a, a sympathetic character. The way he's, you know, we see him treated by the government, not just in th that initial attack, but uh, like you pointed out when he's just shot over and over. And then they plan to do this the next night, too, um, you know, in, in the um, when he's in the, the cage there. So they're they're showing him as a, you know. A different kind of Wolverine, like maybe one that's a little more violent, a little more evil on the evil side, but it's not black and white. And we're we're kind of we're, we're kind of feeling sympathy for him, even as we've been introduced to him and knowing that he is actually working for Magneto secretly. So I think I did like this issue. It did it, to, to me, this one did pick things up a bit from the first one. But looking back at this, like this, 
this is all going to change. Like you're going to see where it really begins to become a very cut and clear different universe. But, you know, you get to see what you want. I think even if you're a longtime X-Men reader, this gives you the type of just good moments you want from these people. It's very basic. And, you know, sometimes I like that in comics. Yeah, well, that's the uh, it's the opposite approach taken by Jonathan Hickman. <laughs> stick, stick to the basics. <laughs> the anti-Hickman approach. All right. So so now we're on to issue three. And, you know, just again, to start off with the Sentinels, they, they've shown Sentinels in many different X-Men comics in many different ways. But the Sentinels here are just probably my, my favorite because they're just so menacing. And once again, you basically see the X-Men, they're walking through New York and they're just like, man, could, could you believe what would happen right now if we didn't have our uniforms on? At this point, these are the only things protecting us. And as you're walking around, I as think the American public would be more more upset about these Sentinels flying around, too. But yeah. Guess, mutant lives matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what's crazy is like, can I, can I go on a side rant? I know, go for it's, it. uh, I know we're, we're plotting through these, these issues, but, uh, I, it's always bothered me in the, in a Marvel universe, how mutants are public enemy. Number one, cause they're these people born with these crazy powers. Oh my God. Oh my God. But any other superhero with an origin, that's totally fine. As long as you have an origin story, it's okay. If you're just born with powers, well, well suddenly, suddenly we're all the entire all of society is afraid with afraid of you, which is strange because it, I'm supposed to believe in the same continuity, uh, at least when I'm talking about the main continuity. All of society fears, you know, fears the X Men, but they love Captain America, or they love uh, maybe Captain America is a bad example because he's basically like a human with this kind of strong steroids. Butt. Yeah, but they're cool with like Spider Man. They're cool with whoever. Um, it just always bothered me why why for some reason being born with powers sets them way apart from just you know any other person that might marry a man to have an origin. In fact, they for most of Marvel continuity they don't even know who Spider Man is. So maybe he's a mutant. So why isn't he an enemy number one? Anyway, side rant complete. Yeah, and I mean what, what's sad here is you, like the the prejudice is the big thing. They really lay it on thick here. And during the last panel of this page, you basically see this uh, this wall just along the side of a building where you have payphones. Remember payphones? I do. As yeah. we discussed, in, so uh, so two thousand episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, you basically see a lot of graffiti. It's like uh, mutants are shit. The only good mutant is a dead mutant. Kill mutants, die mutie scum. I mean, this you are one hundred percent right. Like the mutants here, they're they're more dangerous than ever before. Okay, now we're at one of my favorite panels. You're back at the Xavier Institute for Gifted Children, and basically uh, Wolverine has apparently gotten out, and he's fighting them. So what happens is uh, he's fighting Cyclops. Marvel Girl jumps outside, and she's like, somebody get down here and help me nail this lunatic. So Wolverine grabs Cyclops, uh, puts him in a a chokehold, presses the button on the side of his visor to blast a hole through Gene. And then from there, what he does is he snaps Snike Cyclops' neck, and he's like, "She's only she she'd only have a broken heart in the end, Scotty." And uh, then what happens is Beast comes out, kicks Wolverine in the face, and all of a sudden Wolverine stands up and he impales Beast. So now you've got three X Men taken down in a minute, and then next thing you know, Colossus, Storm, and Iceman jump out, and Wolverine shreds them. Like, literally shreds them to pieces. Like they're paper. And, uh, yeah, so at this point, what you see is that uh, Professor X, you know, rolls out, and he's basically like, listen, uh, this was a danger room session. So they're like, wow. For me, I mean, as a longtime X-Men reader, I knew this is the danger room, you know, right, right from the get-go. So I was not not taken aback by any, any of that violence. As soon as Jean Grey was hit, I was like, oh, danger room, okay. 
Yeah, so so right now they're still trying to figure him out. They've given him a uniform and stuff, which I got to say, th- this reminds me very much of the tan classic Wolverine costume, but it's mixed with that uh, X-Men movie vibe. I-, I like this one. They will eventually change it down the road to look more like the other X-Men, but this is, uh, I, I kind of like this look. And they're trying to figure Wolverine out, and it's really hard for Professor X to read his mind because of all the stuff that's happened. And they're trying to figure out, like, Wolverine, where have you been this entire time? And so I tell him, hey, I was in the Savage Lamb, Assassin for Magneto. Uh, Wolverine's like, yeah, you know, I was just chilling out upstate. I'm all good. And they're like, why? And they're like, the scenery, bub, the scenery. So, you know, he's he's playing around with them. Uh, next we go, they, oh, so they kidnapped the daughter of the president of Princeton University, and basically, Magneto and the Brotherhood are gonna kill this girl unless they get, like, a whole bunch of concessions, you know, regular terror stuff. So now, the X-Men are getting ready for their first mission with Wolverine, which is a rescue mission to go find this girl. And now what you see is that they're in uh, Croatia, where they're be where they're holding the girl, and you basically get a bigger look at the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. You see Toad who is probably the freakiest freakiest member. You've got Quicksilver, you've got the Blob, and you've got Mastermind. Mastermind, for some of you who don't know, this is actually pretty cool because this is almost the original um, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants plus Blob. And they even did so much as to bring in Mastermind who can create illusions with his head. Then you see uh, Quicksilver. I'm sorry, then you see Scarlet Witch. So basically, um, you know, the X-Men have found them and they're trying to find the best way to go ahead and get in, which for them is to basically jump through the ceiling. So they go ahead and they jump through the the glass ceiling of this place and they begin fighting the the Brotherhood of Mutants. And as they're trying to go ahead and really figure out, you know, how are we going to go ahead and save them? uh, Wolverine basically goes rogue and does his own thing. And they're like, what's what's going on? So as they're fighting, uh, you know, Quicksilver, who's the fastest man alive at this point, he goes around. He's basically beating the shit out of them. But right before he's about to go ahead and take down this car that Cyclops is driving as he's escaping with the with the kidnapped girl. Uh, what's funny is how he completely blows out the front windshield of this car by blasting Quicksilver. And before Quicksilver's about to go run and grab him, uh, Wolverine sneaks out around the corner, the pops way, his claws. Why doesn't that kill Quicksilver? Like, he's just fast, right? I, I think there's something about Cyclops' visor that does not allow it to get to the point of being so lethal it can vaporize oh, yeah, and, people. And I think he can even adjust to, like, you know, he can make it more or less lethal. So maybe he's just got it on stun. That's what I'll go with. Yeah. And what's crazy is, you know, uh, Quicksilver doesn't know that Wolverine is necessarily here with the X-Men. So as Wolverine is about to impale Quicksilver, uh, Wolverine, um, Quicksilver's like, hey, man, what, what the hell? What are you doing here? And what does Wolverine do? Because obviously they're not really on the same side or something, or at least he wants to make his role, his, you know, his undercover role look serious. He, uh, he stabs Quicksilver and he's like, ah, wouldn't you like to know? To make it actually look like he is, in fact, on on the team. So what happens is the rest of the brotherhood starts beating the shit out of, um, uh, Iceman starts beating up storm. And as this is going on, Wolverine somehow got in the car and he's, he's, he's got the girl and they're about to go ahead and start just driving off the side of this cliff. And you're wondering like, Oh my God, what's about to happen? Scarlet, Witch is there. She's bringing down rooftops. I like this version of Scarlet, Witch. she looks very much like the original one. Uh, so, you know, not too different, but classic outfit. Very, very classic. Uh, everyone's like, Wolverine, what the hell are you doing? You're about to drive off a cliff. He drives off the cliff, but, and just like mission impossible, as he's driving off the cliff, 
the the blackbird swoops in at the right time with its hanger down and it captures the car so everything is fine and uh at this point you know wolverine and the girl are like you do i'm sorry uh, uh jean gray is talking to wolverine and she's like you'd do anything to impress a 17 year old girl in a tight sweater wouldn't you and he's like oh you, you did that to impress the the girl and this is where it gets kind of creepy wolverine's like i've a- actually i've got my eye on a telepathic 19 year old but i'm worried she's gonna waste her life waiting on a loser who brushes his teeth six times a day and this is where things kind of change a little bit because Jean Grey is like, don't give up Wolverine. You never know your luck. And this is kind of strange because the, the Wolverine Jean Grey thing hasn't really been seen at this point. And in the comics, it was always a will they won't they. But here it's like, oh, it's right off the bat. It's yeah. right off the bat. And well, I guess it's creepy because Wolverine is like, well, even Way in this like fucking older his like appearance age is like 40 maybe but like in the in we know he's been around for a lot longer than that because of the healing factor and all that stuff uh so really this is like a 150 year old man maybe like hitting on a 19 year old yeah which is probably still not as creepy as the original x-men comics where professor xavier has a crush on like 15 year old jean gray because that really happened so it still makes know. me feel like even though she's an adult and all that at stuff least they made her me... 19 on, on purpose they gave her that age i'm sure they're like no even 18 will be weird yeah you're 19 so it's not it's totally yeah. legal and above board <laughs> but but i gotta say again this wolverine is straight up tom cruise's ethan hunt like this is the most badass one that we can that we can find maybe uh, that's who the mcu should get to play wolverine tom effing cruise I could just because it would be hilarious. I could actually, I could actually. Isn't he Canadian? He's the right height. Is he he's Canadian? The right height. Is he I Canadian? Think I think he's. I don't believe so. No, I don't know. I, guess I could believe it. Okay, so anyway, he's the, he's the right height, and that's one complaint about Hugh Jackman is that he's he's a of regular or above yeah. average height. Whereas I could, Wolverine I could see, t- I could see Tom Cruise doing this. I, I can, I can. Uh, but anyway, uh, as everyone else is escaping and Tom they're trying, Cruise spent part of his childhood in Canada, but he is not Canadian. Well, now we know his family moved there in 1971. There you go. Okay. To finish off this issue, they're regrouping. They save the girl. They're trying to find all the other X-Men. But as a Scarlet Witch was taking down buildings to get Wolverine and the girl, she accidentally dropped a building on Beast. In the last panel, Storm looks at his body as he's covered in rubble. And she's like, I think Beast is dead. So that's that's issue three. He did. <laughs> This is uh this is the most actiony of the issues thus far, and I, I you know I kind of ran through the ran through the action pretty fast, but you know I I, I well, think we have to because this is already on pace to be a four hour uh, episode, so I think you know at some point you can't describe every panel. Yeah. So anyway, that that's that. On to issue four. Um, Storm is grabbing uh, Beast, and she's like, "Okay, he's breathing. We gotta grab him." Uh, Cyclops and uh, Iceman are hiding behind the building, and you know they're like, "Oh crap! Somebody's shooting at us now." Next thing you know, someone shoots Cyclops in the heart, and you know Iceman is standing there. He's just horrified. He's like, "What the hell? Is he dead?" And next thing you know, um, you know Cyclops is like, "Stay cool, man. Why do you think God created Kevlar?" So as Iceman, as Cyclops is down because everyone thought he was dead, he was actually just positioning himself underneath his vehicle they were hiding behind. And he blows up a Humvee full of people. So they're they're trying to get out, and eventually, what happens is Magneto basically takes all the cops and soldiers that were fighting them, and he basically lifts them off, lifts them off the ground, and tosses them. And at this point, you know, Magneto's like listen guys i'm not gonna fight you 
you can have this win, but understand if I wanted to kill you, I could easily do it. But you're not my enemy. These people who are fighting you are the enemy. So go do your thing. But just know this. The humans are going to kill you at the Sentinel program and the Savage Land is your only hope. So go do whatever the hell you want. But I'm done. So at this point, they kind of separate. Uh, what you see is that Beast is in intensive care. Gene, who's 19 and apparently a full doctor, is, uh, you know, helping out Beast. And they're worried he might be in a coma. And they're really worried about what's going on. So what happens is uh, Gene Gray feels partially responsible because Beast is so new at this and he might not uh, recover. Uh, Wolverine comes in and he, you know, he's he's putting the moves on now. I got to say, this is kind of weird because he walks in shirtless, but with like a biker vest. And him and Jean Grey go out on a nice, you know, sunset walk around the X-Mansion. And, uh, you know, Wolverine is basically putting the moves on her. Eventually, you know, they're, they're having just some talks about politics and what just happened and shit. Next, you know, he's like, Jean, how do you feel about me? And Jean looks at him and she's like, honestly, I'm not particularly sure I like you, Wolverine. Sure, you've proved yourself as an X-Man. I haven't bought this idea that you're an overnight convert to Professor Xavier's integrationist ideology. Your Weapon X training might mean I can't read your thoughts uh, that you don't want me to, but I'm in I like that they did at least toss that line in there for us, because that that was what I was thinking. Like, can't they read his mind and see that he was really there working with Magneto from the beginning? I don't know if I buy the explanation just because he was in Weapon X and they messed with his mind that they have, you know... That 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 Cyclops that uh, Jean Grey or Professor X can't can't break through that, but they gave us one, so thank you. Yeah, thank so it, it's one of these things where she's just like, I, I don't know how I feel about you. So you know, Wolverine's just hitting on her, and she's just like, so how come you find me so attractive? And she bites her lip and she says, I wish I knew. And then the next page, you see Wolverine cradle her like you know Humphrey Boom. Bogart, and he just lays <laughs> one on her. And what's funny is that Cyclops is watching this. From his window on the second floor of the X Mansion, he just watches. I gotta say, I don't feel bad for Scott. I really don't. Yeah, not really. I mean, it's probably weird, you know. It's always never fun when you have a crush on some chick, and then you know, you're out of the bar and you see her like, you know, getting getting hit on by the cool guy with the leather jacket that's obviously way cooler than you and way more badass. And that, that's where Scott's at right now. But uh, you know, he has not made his moves with Gene Gray. You know, he's 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 been too busy brushing his teeth and you know trying trying to lead his team. So, you know, and he's never been a sympathetic character to me ever. Cyclops, yeah. and I can't say this version. While while I think they do a better job portraying this version as a leader of the team, eh. He's still Scott Summers at heart, you know? Can't teach an old dog new new ways with women. Yeah, and, and speaking of which, this definitely shows you that while Scott may look like a like an adult, he's really just a moody teenager. Because he, he's packing up his shit and he's got to move out. One, because Wolverine took his girl. Who wasn't even really his girl? I mean, he doesn't have a claim. But I, I love the sly look that, that um, Wolverine gives back up to Cyclops. He's like, yeah, I know you're up there watching, buddy. Yeah, this. but but that's basically what triggers Scott getting so mad that after their talk with Magneto, he's basically like, you know what? I'm done with this shit. I'm going to go join the people that are actually trying to protect mutants. And he has a giant conversation with Professor X that turns into, uh, you know, a giant issue. And, uh, you know, he's just like, I'm, I'm fucking done. So I, I he, he leaves. And as he's walking out the door, he's like, give me a call when you get tired of kissing up to the evil empire. And uh, th- this isn't important really now for this storyline. But Beast wakes up. Yeah, from in the infirmary, and he pulls a mirror, and he's like, "Would somebody?" I, I gotta stop it. I gotta stop at one part that happened before that, because this is this is where, and this is in this is you know is true in the main Marvel continuity as well. Professor X preaches one thing, 
but he does not always practice what he preaches. Because, you know, he at, w- at one point, Scott's having his tantrum. He's on his way out. And he's, and he's like, Professor, are you doing something to my mind? And he's like, oh, I'm just releasing a pleasant little hormone into your bro- bloodstream to calm those rising temper tempers. You know, I got to calm you down. But it's like, you know, you, you really shouldn't be using your powers to mess with people's emotional states uh, when they're just ex- trying to express themselves. They're not you're not stopping crime here. You're not you're not you know, you're not stopping from someone from dying and using your powers that way. You're literally manipulating his his natural emotions. And I don't find that to be a a moral use of your powers, Professor Xavier. So I have I have issues with how Professor X this is, uh, as I said, this is also true to the Professor X in the comic books. But he often uses his powers in ways that I think are somewhat hypocritical based on what his his messaging should be. I, I agree. So to to kind of wrap this up, because we're actually almost done with this issue. Beast wakes up from his like temporary coma and he's like, can someone suddenly explain how my hair got blue? And what your long story short, this is the beginning of Beast actually mutating into the blue furry beast that we see. So you won't see it in this volume, but spoiler alert, he's he's gonna he's gonna turn eventually. Don't worry, kids, he'll be blue. Yeah. So next thing you know, you get to the Savage Land and you see Cyclops shows up and he's like, okay, Magneto, I'm interested. Let's hear what you've got to say for yourself. So Magneto basically embraces Cyclops and he's like, welcome to the Savage Land, brother Cyclops. And you see fireworks going yeah, off. I was going to say, I love how there's a fireworks display going on in the Savage Land. Yeah. What, what I find more like screwed up is that Cyclops actually stole the Blackbird to go. So I don't, I mean, he kind of just took it, but whatever. By the way, I get that they have powers, but like, can a 19-year-old kid really be flying these, like, stealth, crazy Blackbird-type fighters? I mean, that seems more of a stretch than the powers to me. Why, Mark? Why? Because, because comics. comics. There you go. He can fly whatever. So you know, once you embrace this, once you embrace, this is something every comic fun, fan has to come to at some point. Because it's it's the thing with me, too. Like, I I can, same thing with movies. Like, I can I can believe anything that's happening in a movie. I can put aside, uh, you know, my, you know, what I, anything we might know about physics. Yes, I can suspend my disbelief. What I need and what drives me crazy is when the the um, when it doesn't have internal consistency, when there's something within the film that contradicts itself. You know, I will. And, and that's the same thing when it comes to comics. But at some point, because comics have been around for so long, especially when you're, you know, trying to figure out DC continuity or Marvel continuity or what have you, you're going to have to at some point just embrace that it's because comics and you're not going to find the explanations you're looking for all the time. So that's what I recommend if for our new fans out there. Just embrace it and embrace the because comics philosophy, because at some point your reading is just going to get a lot more, a lot more satisfying once you can just brush some things aside and say, OK, this didn't make sense, but it's comics. So let's go. Before we get to issue five, how do you feel about them jumping the gun on the Jean Grey Wolverine ship? Yeah, I guess that's. I guess that's one thing I don't like about some of this stuff is that some of the character development just seems rushed or forced. Like it's, we just met Wolverine and he's already making out with Jean Grey. But in fairness, one of my first complaints in the beginning was, well, this seems just like a slight tweak to my X-Men and not, it's not that different. So here I am complaining about something that's quite different that they just jumped into it, that there was no long build, no slow burn. Um, I guess if you want the slow burn, you re- you read regular Marvel continuity or you uh, you read, you know, Jonathan Hickman, where they're kind of like there's they're sort of alluding to this weird, weird throuple situation. Um, so I, I don't like it because because if you're a, a new reader, 
like I don't know. I feel like you're not getting that kind of payoff because there's no there's no build to it. It's almost like they just assume that you've seen the movies, so you know that there's this weird tension with like with like Jean. Gr- Is there really in the in the movies? Do they do it? They do it. They do oh yeah, especially in X two. In X two, X Men United, it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta rewatch these movies. It's been a while. X two is probably my favorite of the original three yeah. X Men films. You could probably stop at X two actually and then skip over to like maybe Days of Future Past. Yes, yes. So anyway, issue five. You see Big Ben in London blow up. And who blew it up? The Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And who yes. enabled this? Cyclops. Why? Because he's driving the bl- he's flying the Blackbird to blow it up. And at this point, they're like, wow, that was it's really awesome I, of you. Another thing I don't like is how quickly Cyclops is suddenly involved in a terrorist act. Like, it's one thing to sort of embrace Magneto or be confused, but like, literally, he's just the flying to the Savage Land. Suddenly, he, he can participate in terrorism. I mean continue because he does express reservations but it still seems like a little bit too much of an immediate character change for the fifth issue of a series yeah and i mean at this point you see scarlet witch obviously hitting on on a on cyclops as uh, quicksilver is being a dick to him about stuff so basically you see that he's basically just gone rogue but he, speaking of going rogue here we go to washington dc where charles xavier and the x-men have been invited to the president's office at the the oval office of the white house and they're basically going to talk about trying to mend human mutant relationships and what do you see on this page you see wolverine and gene gray having just finished getting it on and like my yep. god they have they have quickly consummated the relationship and there is no uh yeah they're they're not uh they're pretty clear about it <laughs> oh my <laughs> god more than an illusion yeah and like, i mean it's it's funny at this point and they just like there's no there, there's no wondering like this has happened and uh you know wolverine is watching tv and he's like uh i wonder how he's gonna talk to talk the president to scrapping the sentinel program when his old uh gophers hurling semtex at buckingham palace he's talking about scott summers the leader of the x-men now being a terrorist and gene gray gets back to bed and she's like so you sound awfully committed for a guy just hanging around the hotel spending the professor's plastic and they're talking about you know just the hotel room which is big and gaudy and they've just you know i mean it's room service and dinner and next thing you know uh gene gray gets back in and she's like you know i guess everyone's wrong about you huh mr wolverine as they get underneath the cover uh covers wolverine looks at her and he's like no gd everyone was absolutely right so just about as they're about to get it on again obviously he's about to tell her the truth which is that he's an assassin so what you see the next page you see a beast who's in crutches but not not before they they consummate once again he's got he's got he's <laughs> got he's got to get it in again so they're pulling the covers again. he's like i gotta i gotta do this again before i tell you what's going on here yeah, so basically uh, what you do is you see them meeting George Bush in the White House and they're like, listen, man, uh, pretty much everyone agrees the negotiations are the best part forward, but there's still a one mi- final mission plan for Boulevard Trash yeah, Machines, I'm afraid. Mission. And what they basically see is that the big mission is to go and kill everyone in the Savage Land with the Sentinels. Yeah, yeah we're just gonna uh, kill all these people, and then we'll be good. We'll be we'll yeah. Set then. And and, and they're and out. they're like, listen, President Bush, you just can't do that. And Bush is like, actually, I've, I've consulted the NATO chiefs and staff, and this, the decision was unanimous, Professor. This island is a refugee for a cult predicted to the, I mean, dedicated to the destruction of our very species. It would be irresponsible of us not to strike while this opportunity presents itself. And also, okay. we won't be fooled again. Uh, 
reading this now is so different yeah. than when I read this as a kid in the Bush administration. <laughs> what year did this actually come out? 2001. So this is pre-Iraq War. This is this is like right as it's happening. Wow, this is really wow. Yeah. In hindsight, this is even even this is like wow. Wow. And at one wowie, point wowie. And, and at one point uh uh, ice, ice, ice man comes in. He's like, "What's going on, Professor? Are they got kill Cyclops because he's like a kid at this point." And Professor X is like, "One of my students is on the island, Mister President." And George Bush is like, "Only because he joined a terrorist organization. This isn't exactly a little boat paper talking about." Oh my god, this is your George uh, Bush isn't bad. It's improving as you go. It's it's what By I get. So basically, thing. so basically, the Sentinels have risen and they're gonna go kill everyone in the savage land and next thing you know uh you know cyclops having a heart-to-heart with wolverine and uh, you know wolverine's like hey man my daughter's got a thing for you i can i i, I approve you too i oh, think what's mean, going uh, on you mean magneto yeah magneto's magneto's I was really you really threw yeah, me sorry, off for a sorry, minute. sorry magneto's you know going around cyclops and they're having a little talk and next thing you know uh, he's trying to really convince Cyclops that you did the right thing joining the Brotherhood, and he's like, "This world is more than five billion years old, and yet just." By the um, way, is this supposed to be Sauron? That like little like um, pterodactyl no, creature? No, I, I've, I've, I've searched. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so Fair basically, enough. they're you know, uh, Magneto is basically saying we're we're gonna go ahead and kill more more people so you shouldn't feel bad and as magneto's like listen man genocides have to happen wolverine looks at him he's like you, you know you sound exactly like adolf hitler right so next thing you know he's like is, i hate that guy don't say that yeah uh next thing guy. yeah ne- ne- next thing you know uh i'm, I'm gonna skip over the next part because just a stupid conversation between quicksilver and scarlet witch but all you see is that the yeah. sentinels it's finally to show that it's just trying to show that quicksilver isn't necessarily you know a fan of his dad and how he's treated by his dad. Yeah. That sums it up. Yeah, that, that sums it up. So that basically, as soon as they have that conversation, uh, the Sentinels arrive at the Savage Land and start viciously murdering everybody. And like everybody. Like so disintegrating them. Gogurt guy style. These guys. Yeah, are I mean, they're, they're just what I love is how they're just stepping on people. But here's the mm-hmm. crazy part. So Magneto comes out and he grabs all the Sentinels and he basically opens up their heads and reprograms them. And he's sending them to D.C. So at this point, you know, uh, Xavier, I'm sorry, at this point, uh, Cyclops goes to Quicksilver and he's like, listen, man, we we, we got to let um, we, we, we've got to let Magneto do this. And at this point, Cyclops is like, no, we're not. So he pulls out his comm link from his uniform. and He's like, Professor X is Cyclops. We've got a situation here. So next page, we go back to wolverine and gene gray and she's tossing him across the room again she's like you filthy two-faced dirtbag and long story short he basically confessed that you know yeah i was an assassin he's like listen because i turned different do you have a different book than i do probably this doesn't happen i've got the trade back my my version of the last panel is is professor x this is cyclops we've got a situation here sir and then it's over oh wow so i guess they they merged the last issue Oh wow! Yeah. I think they actually merged the last one, five and they six. Didn't give you the, they didn't give you the break between. No, them. no. Okay, so first yeah, page. Now, now you are now describing issue six to me. Yeah. So first, oh, this is weird. See, folks, this is why the tradebacks and the digitals are sometimes different. So for my yeah. tradeback, it does not have the split. So basically, you're back in DC. Wolverine told Gene Gray he was an assassin. And he's like, listen, I turned to you, Genie. I came here hating Xavier's guts, but ended up falling for his big idea, just like the rest of you people. And he's just trying to be honest and. 
Jean Grey is still pissed, so she's about to grab a candlestick and shove it up his ass. And, and I, fi- I found this so rushed. Like, I really felt like this is a, a fine way to take the characters, like, to bring Wolverine in. But to me, it's like, okay, he's supposed to go kill Xavier. They do, like, one thing together, and then, then he makes out with Jean Grey, and suddenly he's like, oh, yeah, I really bought into the professor's thing. Like, you never really even saw him having a conversation about it. We never got any—we never saw this development of Wolverine's character. He just says it happened, so we're supposed to imagine all this stuff that went on. I, I just feel like some of this stuff is is way too rushed between the relationship with uh, you know Jean Grey and Wolverine and then suddenly his change of heart. And even then, you're, you're kind of thinking, like, well— was he ever that bad? Because other than Magneto saying I hired Wolverine, we never really even saw him being bad. But now he is acting like, oh, I came here hating Xavier. So did you come here hating Xavier? Or were you just given a mission by by Magneto? It's never really clear. And I, I found this this progression of his character a little bit rushed slash confusing. Yeah, so what you basically have happen is the Magneto, everyone knows that the attack didn't go well. Magneto is coming to Washington, D.C. with the Sentinels. Um Professor X uses psychic powers to go ahead and warn everybody, like, listen, you, you got you to gotta hide, you got to run, you got to be safe because these things are coming. Next thing you get to the other panel, uh, Cyclops, long story short, he's recruited Scarlet Witch and and Quicksilver to fight Magneto, who is flying. Another, another thing I found rushed. I feel like all of this is so rushed in so many ways. Like, okay, one second ago, they were all on board with Magneto, and now they're just following Cyclops. And all the only character development we've seen that is... Yes, in the first issue, we saw Magneto kind of being a dick to Quicksilver. And then last issue, we saw the one conversation between Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. It seems like storylines that were supposed to develop over time, but they're just not developing over time. They're all just like, you know, that's what this kind of reminds me of, actually. A story that I actually do like is uh, Jeff Johns reimagination or uh, the new 52 reimagination of Justice League with Jim Lee. It's like we're going to fit in a a movie in six in six issues, kind of race through the origin, have everything we want to get to. And it just happens really fast. Of course, I thought that was much, much better done uh, with with that, you know, the character development wise. Here, it just seems like they're they're rushing to things. And I'm never they're telling me about character development, but they're not showing it to me. I I totally hear you. And I mean, the next couple pages is just, um, you know, Sentinels blowing DC up and the X-Men fighting. And now everyone's in full combat mode. So it's just pages upon pages of shit blowing up. And I got to say, like, what I love about this is you really see Sentinel destruction. But, uh, you know, the X-Men are off doing their thing. Magneto pulls George Bush out of the White House and somehow strips him down naked. And he pulls up all these cameras and he's going to live stream himself murdering George. George Bush. And just before he does that, somehow these two cars that he's about to, you know, use to crush George Bush, they fall on either side of him. So next thing you know, he's like, what what just happened? And long story short, uh, Professor X has some telekinetic ability, so he's able to push the cars. And now, you know, he's still in a wheelchair. So Magneto's like, what the hell? So he tosses him off the chair. Uh, you see the X-Men continuing to fight them. And next thing you know, as Magneto is about to murder Charles Xavier instead, he's so focused on Professor X that he doesn't realize that Wolverine is right behind him, jumps in and stabs Magneto through the heart. But that's not the worst part. What happens is, as Wolverine is like stabbing the shit out of Magneto, he quickly gets Magneto's helmet off. But actually, no, I, I skipped ahead. So basically, uh, he's about to kill Magneto. Wolverine gets impaled by a thing of metal. And as everyone else is um, uh, trying to figure out if Magneto's still alive or not, 
Quicksilver comes in, steals Magneto's helmet, and he's like, that's what happens when you treat someone like dirt beneath your fingernails their entire life, father. And it's like, okay, his daddy issues are finally being addressed. So because now Magneto doesn't have his helmet, he's stabbed, he's weak, and he's exposed, Professor X comes in and basically lobotomizes Magneto. So Hello, much Eric. so, yeah. <laughs> the, and, the and giant this is, Professor X head in his mind. Yeah, what's really weird is that as Magneto's trying to fight him, he like surrounds himself full of sentinel scrap, another metal, flings it up into the sky, and somehow it blows up. And we don't know what's going on, but what we know is that the battle is over. And to wrap things up so we can get to the final recap, we get back to the X-Mansion. Cyclops is back. You know, he's apparently forgiven. Uh, Wolverine and Jean Grey have basically broken up, and... What we're basically told is that, you know, the the Sentinel program is scrapped, but, you know, we don't know if Magneto is really dead or not. So we can't we can't rest and hopefully we'll be able to earn the trust of humanity. And that's how this volume ends. I like it a lot less now. (laughs) You know what's what's funny? I'm nostalgic over it, but it's not as good as I thought it was. I think I like it slightly more on on my second read. But I, I mean, yeah, I think like here's the thing. It's it's well done. Like I I can't really say like oh this is an awful remake of the X Men. Um, my criticisms are and maybe this maybe this might apply. I don't know. I need to get more into the Ultimate Universe because the only the only Ultimate comics I've ever read. I read these first six six. I might have read more than this actually. I, about four or five years ago, I just went through some of it, and then I also did read some of the Ultimates, but only maybe like the first volume or so. Um, but. In both cases, I think the Ultimates was differentiated itself a bit more, if my memory is correct, but I have to really go back and read it. To me, this is just, I don't know. It's like, it's kind of just like, um, it's kind of like, it's, I, I took it like a cartoon, how a, how a cartoon would introduce these characters or how a movie would introduce these characters. And that's not bad, but it's just not for me as a longtime X-Men fan. I didn't, I don't need this. You know, it's, it's not so drastic. It's not like some, some really interesting, like totally different Elseworlds-esque take where there's some huge twist. Um, and it's like a completely different flip on its head of the concept. Um, it's fine. You know, like it's, it's, I can't say it's bad writing. It's pretty decent writing. Um, my biggest criticism of the writing is not really like the action or the, the dialogue itself or anything. It's really just how we seem to just really bounce between character progression. We're just going, the character's here, the character's here, the character's here, here it is. We're not really seeing it play out in a natural way. And maybe it's because they assume anybody reading this knows the characters from the movies, so they just kind of think, you kind of know this stuff, we don't need to show you the burn. But, I mean, I can pick pick so many examples of this between Wolverine's character progression of, we see he's bad, and then he joins the X-Men, and, oh, he turns out he actually hated Xavier, but no, he doesn't now because he went on one mission with them, and now he really believes in his message. Why? I don't know. We never saw him have a conversation about it. And then... Um, Quicksilver. Okay, he's a bad. He's a he's a terrorist. Scott is there while he's blowing stuff up. Okay, Scott was just a good guy, but now he's saying he's not he's not actually being the terrorist. But well, okay, he's flying the jet. I mean, yes, you are still being a terrorist. Scott has blood on his hands now. Oh, but it's okay. He's a hero now because he called Professor X. And was this all the plan? This is what I wasn't clear on by that last panel where where um you know Professor X basically says oh like things are going according to plan or something. It's like oh wait, so was this all part of your plan the whole time too? And if so, was part of your plan helping terrorists blow people? up as you did with Quicksilver and also oh Quicksilver had a change of heart because I don't know he's mad at dad even though we only saw that like really addressed in two panels in the whole six issues and he's forgiven because he he did his speed thing and took Magneto's uh, Magneto's helmet but you know two issues ago he was a terrorist and was murdering people and I'm supposed to just accept him as one of the X-Men now and 
these these are character progressions we see in comics all the time, but it's usually something we see develop over time. Whereas this all happened in these six issues, and that just all felt very rushed. So I, I liked a lot. I, I did like the story. Like if this was a movie, if this actually was the X Men movie, which it almost is, kind of in many ways, but not quite. Like it could be a good movie because movies you have to sort of do things in this way. But as a comic book and, and as wanting to learn who these characters are, um, you know. Maybe I'm biased because I have decades of X-Men history that I'm aware of. So this just seemed like a truncated version of a lot of it, like smushed into six issues. But that's my biggest issue of it. I mean, and maybe I would feel differently if I just picked this up and this is my first exposure to the X-Men. But I think even then I would still feel like a lot of this character development was rushed. It's almost like they just know that we know Wolverine's good guy. So they're just going to have him suddenly be good. And that's kind of the explanation that he just, you know, he was just, oh, he was he was taken by Xavier's message. So that's what it is. Let me let me be straight with you, Mark. I had a really high rating for this. And it mainly comes from the fact that I didn't read this for a very long time. I was, I'll tell you what my original score was. I was going to give it a four for the art and a four for the story. I'm giving it a three for the art because it's just so like, this is not when I, when I was reading this, it was about six years after this came out. And by then about two or three artists had come on. So it's still kind of recent. This does not age. Well, this is not a Jim Lee. This is not a Ditko. This is none of that. The the Kuberts, I, I don't know if I've seen their stuff since. I, I really can't think of anything. But, like, this is very fixed to a time where it was supposed to be very cartoony, manga-like. And it's just looking at it. I looked at some stuff. And I'm like, this is kind of cringy. As far as the story is concerned, yeah, I didn't recognize those things until reading it with fresh eyes many years later. So I'm giving the art a three. Because it's just not objectively good years, years later. And I think that's why I give some art a pass on things. Because it's like, can this be an objectively good style now? And the answer is no. And for the story, I'm giving the story a three. Because it's just very, it's very B-movie sci-fi original. So, you know, and by sci-fi, I mean like sci-fi channel original. I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving X-Men... Ultimate X-Men Volume 1, The Tomorrow People, a 6. But I think you should still read it because this was one of the best-selling comics out there. And this went on for over 100-plus issues. And this actually affected a lot of what you will see through the other Ultimate Comics. So I think in terms of just comic book history, it might not be the best, but I don't think I can undermine its importance. So I'll give it a 6 now. I loved it as a kid. It got me into the comics and it had massive effect over the Marvel line in all with not just the ultimate books, but also the other X-Men books. So, you know, six, but I think you have to read it to at least have a solid opinion of it. Fair enough. Um, I, I don't feel like it's right if I rate it higher or even the same as you. Um, and I'm not going to, cause I, hmm, let me think here. Yeah. I, I, I can't call it much better than average to be honest. Um, I, I don't even really like, like the art that much, to be honest. Like I, I think Eddie, Adam Kubert is a good art artist. What else has he done though? What else has he done? Um, I get all the Kubert's mixed up. So it's really hard for me, for me to tell you right off the bat. I, I could do some live research right now if we want, but um, to, to me, my, my issue with the art is it's, it's a little too cartoony for my taste. If that makes sense. Um, it just, I don't know how else to describe it. It's just it's just a style of art. And I don't know, there's other artists that I would say have a somewhat similar style of art. Uh, Adam Kubert has done, yeah, he's done a bunch of, he did, um, yeah, he's done a bunch of Wolverine, Incredible Hulk. Uh, he did Ultimate Fantastic Four, Ultimate X-Men. 
so I think he, a lot of his art was in that, in that decade when I wasn't really following, but, uh, I think I, I feel like I'm more familiar with Andy and Joe Kubert. Is that, but I uh, think that's it, but I do mix them all up because there's a lot of Kubert's around, but anyway, I mean, I, I just find it. No, Joe Kubert is the, is the matriarch. He's the original of the family. He's, he's the old timer. Uh, Joe Kubert's art is awesome. And then there's other scenes where the art just doesn't, I don't know. It's like there's scenes where it's not fully descriptive. Like there's other scenes where the art's pretty cool. Like there's a few splash pages. Like I really love that splash page where we first meet Cyclops. Um, there's a, there's something to like about it. it. And if someone is a fan of this art, I won't, I won't be, be begrudge them for it, but it's not my kind of art. Um, I can't call it bad though. So I'm, I'm going to give the art a two and a half. I'll give it an average score. That that's uh, two and a half out of five. I guess that's what I would call it. Um, people might hate on me for that, but you know, I, that's about as as high as I can go because it does nothing for me. That's just me being nice. I think really to be honest, and the storyline wise too. I I I almost feel bad giving it this score total because we have sort of ca- categorized this as uh, as our friends at Weird Science have said the fuck you five. That's what we gave to Maximum Carnage uh, because it just dragged and dragged and dragged. And I just wanted to say fuck you to this whole story. I don't really feel that way about this, but I think I'm going to end up giving it the same score because I can't put the writing much more than a two and a half. Uh, to me, it's a, it's an average story that has many rushed elements. I can't call it bad. There's elements I like. There's scenes I like. There's characterizations I like. But it's not above average to me. To me, I just I just see this as an averagely written, averagely drawn comic book that is an unnecessary, at least at this po- juncture, an unnecessary remake of a classic series and cra- classic characters that isn't different enough for me to actually see any reason for it to exist. So, yeah, I'm going to stick with my five. And I think this is the big criticism. I I understand that. I think this was the criticism of the Ultimate Comics for a while, because you either really loved them or you really didn't. And there is no 50-50 on it. It's very very much a cult classic type of thing. So I totally get it. So all in all, uh, a combined Second Break Comics score of 11 out of 20. All right. That's I could I could live with that. Readers, you ultimately decide. So, yeah, that's about it. Oh, well, there we have it. So I think I feel like I have. Well, it's not me. I didn't do it. You reread it too. We we, we feel like your bridge. enthusiasm for this book was not not the same as it was uh, going. No. <laughs> nostalgia is a funny thing. Yeah. Sometimes nostalgia can can raise a score, and sometimes the nostalgia that you used to have for it can so- sort of make expectations too high and actually give you some disappointment. So it sounds like and, that's more the case with this one. And I can certainly tell you that even though my opinion of it may be different. The, the love of it is probably the same because this was my childhood. And, you know, whether it was Gogurt Man, Walkman's, Payphones, or Blockbuster, uh, that's the beautiful thing about comics. They could take you back to those moments in your life because usually when you've got a good comic in hand and you've got memorable characters and good stories, or they were amazing or not, you remember where you were. And that's what I love about reading these, collecting these, keeping them. I'll never get rid of my collection. That's what I love about doing this show. It's a moment to reflect, remember, and just remember, like, why this is such a why this is such a compelling hobby for so many people, because there's so many extra things you could do with your time and your money. But this is one that that is special. So I have a question um, Tim, I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe we don't want to spoil it. If anybody wants to read the next hundred issues or whatever there is of this. Um, to me, it felt like there was an implication towards the end that maybe Xavier kind of had like secret plans of his own, even within what he's doing. And it wasn't really clear to me, but it kind of seemed that way from that last panel with Cyclops. Is that something that gets played up at all in this series? Yes and no. I will say that gets progressively better. 
and this is going to be for something that re- recently realized a lot of the later issues of this. Uh, it's it's a different story because Millar eventually leaves the book because he goes to do uh, Ultimates. So eventually it goes through a handful of different writers and uh, artists. But, you know, that's what that's what I like about this was a, this was kind of like it's kind of like a farm team, a baseball farm team for a lot of people. And uh, a lot of good folks got their run on the Ultimate Comics. So I'm uh, I'm happy with it. Yeah, I think you should read it. All right then. I mean, may- maybe not. Maybe it won't be on top of your list, but like, if you were curious, there- if you have comic, uh, uh, if you yeah. have Hoopla, or if you have Marvel Unlimited, and Marvel you don't have Unlimited to pay for it, I see no reason not to check it out. See, see how you feel. It's better than Hickman's shit. It's better than Hickman's stuff. I'm really confused about Jonathan Hickman's X Men at this point because I-, I I tell Shut myself up. I don't like Shut it, up. and I don't think I do, and yet I keep wanting to see what happens but I feel like it's a more of a morbid curiosity than an actual engagement in the story. At this point, it's just so out there and, and I feel like he's probably going somewhere and it's almost like I'm so invested. Now I just have to keep seeing where he's going, but six months behind because I'm, I'm on, I'm doing it on Marvel unlimited. So um, this, I yeah, guess this is well, better. I would call it better, but it's not more interesting to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't really care where this goes next. And I am, I'm strangely curious about where Jonathan Hickman goes next because it's so off the f- fucking wall. And I guess maybe that's what I appreciate. Uh, even if he, th- even if he's just showing me something that's not the X-Men, well, at least it's totally different. At least I, I can see this is something totally different from what I've seen from the X-Men before, whereas this is not that different from the X-Men. It's just it's just slightly tweaked. Okay, Wolverine's got a ponytail. Jean Grey's got short hair. It's a slightly tweaked version of, of characters I already know. And it's not different enough to interest me. And it's not the same enough to, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that sentence, but it's not, it's not, it's not really, it's not enough of an homage and enough of a remake that I find it nostalgic and it's not different enough to make me think, oh, this is something different. So it does nothing for me either way. So I guess that's why we end up at a five because it's not bad, but it does nothing for me. So maybe that is how, how we get to the fuck you five, but I don't feel like giving this, I'm not going to say fuck you to this. I I don't think that, I think that needs to, that that reservation needs to be, well, it should be reserved for the comic podcast that actually invented it. And we shouldn't be stealing things. Uh, But um, it's an, it's an homage. It's an homage. homage, (laughs) This is the, it's ultimate, the ultimate fuck you five. Uh, We're just the alternate reality version of that same thing. Yeah. There you go. The ultimate fuck you five. That's the thing now. Five. It's not a fuck you five. It's just a, eh, okay. It's an okay five. Well, folks, that's that's about it. Mark and I got to run. Mark, anything you want to leave them with? Uh, any reminders or house notes or shit that I didn't bring up at the beginning? I would just love to remind everybody out there that while, of course, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash secondprintpod, get exclusive early access to all sorts of uh, for every episode we do, uh, get bonus Remzo rants, to, uh, get me getting drunk and talking about Savage Dragon, all sorts of bonus content that we put out there uh, at various levels. We'd love you to do that. But even if you don't want to do that, if you just like the show enough that you want to see us do well, but not enough to reach into that pocket, or maybe you're in a tough time. It's been a tough time for a lot of people this year. That's great because there is still, well, it's, not, it's not great if you had tough times. Let me be clear. That's okay because there's an easy way to help us and a couple easy ways. One is to just tell a friend. If you are listening to the show and you're into comic books, odds are you have another friend who's also into comic books. So I'm just going to ask you to just tell that friend. 
find that friend or even if it's a friend that you just think might be into this stuff because a lot of people are finding out they like comic books as they're you know getting into it whether it's from the X-Men movies the, the MCU movies or, or what have you and find, or, or even if it's from say like The Walking Dead they're getting into this stuff and finding there's this whole other genre out there but it can be really intimidating and I think this show is a great starting point for anybody I think it's great for fans like me and you that have been around a long time to look back on things but I also think we're a great starting point for people because we try to break things down in a way that people even if the storylines don't all make sense even if you can't catch up on all that stuff I think we break things down in a way that people can be a little less intimidated jumping into a book and finding a starting point for them so all I'm going to say share the show with a friend if you enjoy what you're hearing that's all folks as always I'm Remso W. Martinez and I am the mighty marvelous Maleficent Mark Clare Read comics, change the world. Good night, America.